Hello, and once again, welcome to Journey of the East podcast as part of the Realm of the Mist family. I am, as always, your host, UA Blackwings. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Zephyr Zero. Hey, how's everybody doing? And Zephyr, we've, we've got a couple surprises for our listeners this time. Yeah, we do. We're changing the format a little bit. Just a little bit, but I think it's going to be something of interest. First off, we're going to be doing the first part of a our first series on this episode, which will be an introduction to anime. And then on top of that, we have our first guest. <laughs> should, should, we, should we give everyone a warning before we introduce him? I mean... Ah, oh, damn. They've probably already run into him. I mean, it's not his first time on a Realm of the Mist show. You know him from such things as Press A Gaming as a guest star. You know him on guest starring on After Hours. And he is our newest DM on Chronicles of the Lost Realm, the all-consuming flame of gluttony, Anvil. Hello. (laughs) Kind of stole his thunder there by using his title. I'm sorry. I thought it would be a nice change of pace. It's nice to get an intro. (laughs) So, Anvil, really quickly, for anyone who doesn't know anything about you or anything I just rattled off, what the hell's wrong with you people? This man's a legend. But if you want, why don't you give us a quick intro as to some of the things that you do? Uh, I play video games. I do a medieval battle sport called Dagger here. Uh, I play Dungeons and Dragons. And you... And you like to swamp all of our streaming services with cartoons. Meh. I do like (laughs) cartoons. Well, that's something that we all have. That is something we all have in common, thankfully. Doesn't matter its origin. We love cartoons. Yep. So we're going to start off today's episode a little differently, and we're going to see how it goes. We're going to do a small segment where we talk about anything new that or interesting that we're doing in terms of Japanese or Asian media. Um, Anvil, what have you been doing lately? Well, like for instance, now right now I'm playing uh, Final Fantasy 15. Now, real quickly, stupid question I realize, is this your first time playing Final Fantasy 15 or did you play it before? It sure is my first. And where are you right now? Uh, I just got to, uh, what's this town called? Uh, or Lenethville or something like that. Okay, let me... You're on on Road Trip Simulator part. I just found Iris. Just met Iris. Okay. Um, how many cane weapons do you have right now? Uh, just the two. Okay, so... Sort of wisdom. So still very, very fresh into it. Okay. Get ready get get ready to dump at least fifty or sixty hours into that. Well, those are rookie well, numbers. You need to pump those numbers up. Yeah, I forgot. This is the man that lives for the side quest. <laughs> you're talking you're talking to the guy who talks to every fucking NPC. And no, multiple times, just to make sure, times, just to make sure that they don't have rare dialogue options. No, and really? the thing that I'm going to love is eventually he will hit the part where he has to do the one-hour tortoise mountain boss, and I just I want to see how long it takes for him to actually beat it. Spoilers. 
It's not spoilers. Almost anyone who's seen the game knows that that boss exists. I, have, I did not, for the Oop. record. Oops. Don't worry, there's no tortoise boss that you have to face. Too late now. Cat's out of the bag, man. Any, anyways. Zephyr, what have you been doing lately? Well, I've been watching uh, Ghostsager on my Toku Drive. And uh, I uh, have also been playing since today, since it just dropped, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. All right. And the. Is it worth? Is it worth? It is worth, however, I need to pick up a Pro Controller for it because I got a Joy-Con with Joy-Con Drift, and it's making playing it very frustrating. Because I'll be fighting, and Shulk will just run off to whatever end of the map he feels is fucking awesome. The Pro Controller is worth its weight in gold, man. It really is. Like, I I never had a problem with Joy-Con Drift for my, uh, my Switch until recently. And especially since Nintendo has already said that it is not doing any Joy-Con drift repairs right now due to the present environment. Yeah, buy a Pro Controller. My only option is to get another controller, and if I'm going to buy another controller, I'm going to get a Pro Controller. Good choice. I'm going to buy another set of Joy-Cons. Besides, just wait until uh, Nintendo opens its shops back up, and uh, they'll fix it. You just have to wait until all this virus thing is over. Yep. In other words, once again, ladies and gentlemen, buy a Pro Controller for your Nintendo Switch. Now that why do, we do why do why why do we, why do we keep doing that? We're not getting any ad revenue for that shit. It's good. <laughs> it's good training for when we do get an advertiser or something like that. It's and not ca- just that, but when you genuinely enjoy a product, endorse it, whether you get paid or not. Exactly. You hear that, Nintendo? Pay us. We'll shill your shit. We really will. You're talking to one guy who lives off of the Legend of Zelda franchise. We're talking to one guy who has almost who has had almost every Nintendo product <laughs> under the sun, and your favorite Smash Bros. personnel. I mean, seriously, Nintendo, if you don't want to give us a boatload of money, we're not asking for that. Just throw us a bone every now and then, and we'll plug your shit for pennies. Just give us swag. Hell, I'll work for swag. (laughs) Swag, early release of games, you know, doesn't need to be monetary. Um... For me, I have just found out that season two of Fruit Baskets has started to drop, so I caught up on that real quickly. And I found a new anime that has caught my attention, and it's one of those guilty pleasure animes that you two kind of curse me for. It's called The Testament of Sister New Devil. And oh, I've heard of that one. It let me let me preface this real quickly by saying there is a plot. There is a hundred percent a plot here, and there is a lot of action in this. But yes, there is fan service. There is fan service out the wazoo. It is softcore porn. Lots of plot. No, the re- okay. This isn't high school DXD. I fully acknowledge that. This is better than high school DXD. Lots of plot. Shut up. <laughs> Lots of plot. Shut up. 
this is this is where we need to have like images <laughs> jpegs pop up on our on our videos because like we need some serious editing up in here because we just need to have uh, big anime titties flash across the screen. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of which, Nintendo, I don't know if you guys have heard, has announced that it will be pu- uh, publishing a uh, uh, hentai game. Yep. It just took. It just destroyed both other consoles by saying, hey, yo... We got anime titties. Beer, um, anime titties. Dude, um, that's been that's that's been like new news since the launch of the Switch. Like Nintendo put out really early that yo, we're not gonna censor the games on the Switch store. Well, let, let they said they were gonna censor it, but nobody was making age games, but someone is now. Let me ask this: Is it a dating sim? Yes, most uh, age games so. are. Eh. We'll see. I'm not. I'm not gonna worry too much one way or the other on that. What do you care if it's a dating sim or not? You play fucking Persona. Truth. It's Persona with tits. Like. <laughs> because yes, it does have the sim portion of the game, but I also I mainly play Persona for the action base of it. But anyways, we're not on Press A, we're on Journey to the East, and today we're here to start the first of our mini-series, and today we're going to talk about the introduction of anime, one of Japanese biggest boons to hear in the United States and all across the world. Yeah, I was going to try and segue from the uh, us talking about shilling, shilling stuff for Nintendo into, speaking of shilling, uh, talking about, you know selling anime in america to new audiences and uh how they kind of say what sort of a verification question for you guys go ahead what are we what exactly are are we calling anime and qualifying as anime is it the anime everything that falls into the anime art style going to be considered anime or is it just specifically stuff from japan because we are Germany has made quite a few shows that were actually really good, and they were anime style. And the U.S. made one phenomenal show and a handful of others. One that falls into mind is the Avatar. It's, you're you're jumping you're jumping on a little early there, Anvil. We're not there yet. Whoa. We're starting we're starting way back in like the 1970s with well, some of the early anime. Actually, no, I'm going to do you one better. Anime dates all the way back to 1910s. True. So, so we're going to, we're going to go all the way back to its conception and then edge into its introduction into the US. Because doing my research on this, there was a couple of things to note that really caught my eye. And right. to and to answer Anvil's question, what I'm going to qualify anime as for the purpose of this series is going to be any animated product that was made specifically by a Japan company, a company based in Japan. I will I want to cover America created anime styles in a separate segment because I feel that it deserves its own time in the sun. Okay. So, 
Right now, we're going to sp- talk specifically about Japanese-based anime and how it became introduced into America from its conception all the way to present day. We're going to try and do that all that in one episode? We're going to try to do all that in one episode, and in our the next two episodes, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the introduction into America portion, where we're going to cover how it was introduced to us as children with certain television shows. And we're going to go into another episode and talk about it specifically on more adult-oriented shows. And that's where we're going to have Anvil coming back for it, at least, because he very badly wants to talk about Toonami. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to the uh, little bit from Animaniacs with Yakko Warner naming all of the countries. <laughs> I feel like that's what this is going to be. <laughs> It, the the big thing here, if we can't squeeze it all into an hour, then we compress it where we can and we do the best we can. If it means that we have to go a second episode, we'll go a second episode. But I don't think that it's going to really require that, but we'll see. <laughs> that being said, let's get started. So, as I had mentioned before, earliest recommendation or er, scene of Japanese-based anime is back all the way in 1917, and this was right around the time where, as Anvil had pointed out, go on. Actually, it was 1907, and it's Katsudo Shashin. Um. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take your word for that. I have no idea what either of you two are talking about. I'm just going to look that up real quick. Sometimes called the Matsumoto Fragment is a 1907 Japanese animated film strip that is the oldest known work of animation from Japan. Okay, yeah, no. Known evidence that it counts. Before 1912, so it may predate earliest displays of Western animated films in Japan. Damn. Hmm. The world's first anime happened in 1907. Huh. Well, obviously, I'm missing something on my research because I'm not seeing 1907. But then again, I trust Anvil more on this than I do myself. So one of the things that really caught my attention, and this personally brings a very special place in my heart, it wasn't until thanks to Walt Disney... And his introduction to the first full feature-length animated picture in America, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, that Japanese animators decided to really start revving up their engines and start producing quality material. Truth. So, from there, you had... From 1937 up until 1960s, that's when a lot of animators were starting to really get good at their craft and starting to come up with stuff. And it wasn't until the 1960s and 70s that manga started to influence anime, which will be a subject of its own episode by itself. Because we could we could talk about manga for days. <laughs> right? So we can talk about a lot of manga that haven't gotten anime adaptations yet that deserve them. Oh man, that that's yeah, that's an episode by itself because that one's gonna take a little while. There's there's gonna be a lot of pros and cons and arguments on that. Magic serpent. 
So now we're going to jump up into the 1970s where Zephyr is going to have some good information for us, I'm sure. At this point, manga really started to take off in Japanese culture, and that's where a lot of anime, like we just said, get a lot of their baselines. And this is where anime started to really sprout out and branch out and form its own mini genres. And we really started to see a, uh, a large boom in sci-fi anime uh, because we had stuff like Space Battleship Yamato, which uh, got transported over to the West as Star Blazers. Um, uh, there's a lot of, of trans- transference in this uh, era of animation, particularly for Japanese animation, uh, that we saw a lot of adaptations of the work uh, under different titles in the United States uh, because they would they would take a work from Japan, bring it over, redub it, uh, oftentimes remove a lot of the stuff that was culturally confusing to American viewers and, and replace it with some American-created filler pieces. Um, oftentimes, I'm going to interrupt you there. Oftentimes, it wasn't necessarily just because it was culturally confusing, but oftentimes it was a flat-out censoring. It was something that it was seen as un uh, unpatriotic in the U.S. Also, yeah, oh, there was a lot of that too. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, but like we had we had shows like Battle of the Planets that. Uh, was based was based off of science ninja team Gachamon that was brought over to the United States, billed as Battle of the Planets, and uh, what they ended up doing was they took out a lot of the scenes that were like inherently Japanese in nature, and replaced them with the seven Zark seven segments, uh, which were entirely an American invention, and. Uh, Imagine my surprise having uh, grown up being shown Battle of the Planets and, and, and remembering fondly of like all these characters, including Seven's Arc 7, and go and watch the source material Science Ninja Team Gachamon and being like, Where, where's Zark? Where's Seven's Arc 7? And it's like, um, just this era of adaptation instead of just straight dubbing and 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 keeping the storyline intact uh is is what we had from like the early or from the early 1970s almost all the way up until the late 80s we we saw it was mostly adaptation and not um um what you call it trying to figure out a word to describe how we do anime these days I don't want to use simulcast because this is where it's way too early in the timeline for simulcast. Well, um, while while Zephyr tries to figure that out, let me pose a question to you, gentlemen. What do you think was the first anime to be introduced in America? I already know the answer to this one, so I'll let Anvil guess. Hmm. No, I have no idea. That would be Astro Boy, premiering in nineteen sixty. I had a feeling it was going to be Astro Boy, but I thought for sure something would have come before that. 
Nope. Nope. Astro Boy, also one of the animes that had a manga go in relationship to it, was introduced in America in 1960. It had two different versions of it made during that timeline before it got revived and retooled later on in history. Um, but anyway, uh, back, back to, as I was saying for the, uh, the, the adaptation era of anime, uh, it was during this time that in the U S we saw a lot of properties like Robotech, which was an American conglomeration of three different distinct series from Japan, including super dimension fortress Macross. Unfortunately, I forget what the name of the other two that were used to create it, but uh, it, it was three different series that were all merged into one, and that's what Robotech was to us. And well, then, of course, we had, we had shows like The Transformers, which was pretty much a Diaclone toy commercial <laughs> turned into a series. Something that I love... A lot of people don't realize that Transformers is an anime. It is. Like, me personally, I didn't find that out until I was well into my teenage years, as shamefully as I am to admit that. Transformers is kind of in this weird territory, though, because... It's a gray zone, because it's um, more a Western art style, but at the same time, it's an, it's an well, Eastern animation. It was it was the it was one of the first co-productions because the the Transformers toy line was inherently Japanese. It, Hasbro went and bought the rights to uh, I think it's Diaclone was the original name of it. it. It was a toy line. It didn't have an anime or or TV adaptation attached to it. It was just a toy line of transforming cars and. Hasbro went and bought the toy line from Japan and then had a collaboration effort to make a TV show to sell the toys in the United States. And that's how we got the Transformers. That's also how we got G.I. Joe. Yes. Although G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe was, uh, was uh, American production like through and through. It was... They made the show, they made the toys, although at some point, G.I. Joe suffered the Made in China treatment. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Just like everything did in the 90s. So, so can we all agree <laughs> that... Red paint from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, can we all agree that in the early renditions of anime coming to America, Japan had a thing for giant robots? Oh yes, one hundred percent. I was I mean, actually, like, I was actually it? just about to get into that because we're starting to hit toward the nineties, and uh, that's that's a that we're starting to get into the um, um, straight. Um, I, what do you before call? Before we get straight to the nineties, yeah, go on, Anvil. I'd, like I'd like to poke at that giant robot thing. Go on. If you look at it, the giant robots. It all started around the Cold War. And uh, it was a time when the U.S. and Russia were in a, this sort of constant arms race where they were just making bigger and better weapons, whereas Japan took a different look at it. Japan 
actually did have quite the robotics uh, research going on because they weren't technically allowed to do anything else. They were given restrictions on what they could build militaristically and everything else. So they actually looked into building giant robots to fight because that was all they were allowed to build. And uh, unfortunately, that, that'd we... be a fun little side segment for us to do is like look into the how Japanese culture influenced their different eras of anime. Uh, right. But anyway, as I was saying, uh, I've been waiting for us because we're getting close to the 90s. Well, hold on uh, a second there, Zephyr. You, I, I'm actually a little shocked at you. You have completely skipped the introduction to one of your favorite animes. Akira? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, actually, now I'm kind of curious. Do you like Akira? Suffer? Me? Yeah, you. I mean, I, I, I like Akira, but I, I wouldn't classify it as one of my favorites. I was going to say you completely skipped over one of the big robot type animes gundam oh yeah well, no i'm getting i'm getting there let let me get there well gundam started in the 80s in japan it started in the 80s yes in, in, in japan but we didn't really see an adaptation to it until the the 90s and at that point we were moving toward the dubbing instead of of uh, just completely repackaging for an American audience. And Gundam, which is why I was holding off on it, was one of the first series that we had coming over to the United States uh, being dubbed and keeping its storyline intact. Okay, I apologize. So that's why I was holding off on it. I wasn't skipping it. All right, I, again, I apologize. So... Uh, so the reason I held back on that one is because because we were we were popping into a different era of the transference because originally we had the adaptation era which was we would get an anime and it would be repackaged and and changed ever so slightly to appeal better to American audiences and then around the late 80s to the early 90s we started to see uh, a lot of anime being brought over to the United States with its original storyline intact and really all they did was uh, dub it in English, and maybe change some character names. True, which I can name at least one anime <laughs> off the top of my head that they did that with. Cough, cough, Digimon, cough. Okay, I take it back, too. <laughs> um, Anvil, anything you want to add on to that for late 80s, 90s? Um, I thought... The way I see it, the '80s is where it, it all, a lot of anime sort of shifted towards a dark, darker subplots. Uh, things got more adult. I thought. Um, I would before, agree with that. The yeah, 80s, actually, that's, that's fairly was, accurate. Was very um, centered towards children, but in the '80s, it started being centered more towards teens and adults as well as children. And I think I think that has to do with the fact that a, a lot of the folks that grew up with the animated shows, like uh, even in Japan and, and the United States, uh, people the people who grew up with shows like Astro Boy, and uh, I think in uh, in Japan it was Mighty Adam was the original name of Astro Boy. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, Battle of the Planets, Science Ninja Team, Gachamon. 
Space Battleship Yamato, Star Blazers, the, the people that grew up with those shows were, were now older and uh, they were now part of the target audience for continuing on. And a lot of the people that grew up watching those started making anime in Japan. And that's where and, we got uh, into a lot more darker and adult-oriented content for that. Right. And Gundam was one of the big ones for darker, more adult-oriented co- content because the Gundam series has always been about the effects of war on people and uh, um, how it's not all black and white. Even when they, well, the one exception to that was when they decided to chibi it for that one show. Oh, um, you mean super? You mean SD Gundam? Uh huh. Which is super deformed Gundam? <laughs> no, that's what, that's that's literally what SD stands for. Is super deformed. Yeah, that that, so, might, that might have hit the nail a little harder on the head. Go on, Anvil. I'm sorry. That, something we haven't pointed out for the '80s yet is. Uh, the founding of Studio Ghibli. I was, I was waiting that, patiently yeah. on that. I was going. I, I was going to wait. Somebody else have that one though, because I I took the whole Gundam thing. Anvil, why why don't you go ahead on Studio Ghibli? So, I I think Studio Ghibli actually or had Ghibli, a, sorry, a very a very potent effect on uh, an, anime's importation to other countries to the West. Uh, simply because it was very good at making movies. Mm-hmm. And really, un- until then, anime movies didn't really get imported. Mm-hmm. It was only TV shows. And in reality, the, the TV shows were botched at best. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Studio Ghibli actually hired translators and would export their films already translated. So it sort of gave it the ability to provide a new outlet. Like, uh, I don't know about you guys, but some of my first anime movies were Studio Ghibli movies, like Princess Mononoke and Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Right. For, first one for me, aside from Digimon and Pokemon, those take a different seat. Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service was my first anime movie. See, mine was my, my neighbor Totoro. Totoro. I loved that one. And then uh, between that and the Castle in the Sky, those were the, probably the two. Like uh, the two that really hooked me into anime. Unfortunately, I didn't. I, I didn't actually get to see Howl's Moving Castle for the first time until I was an adult. Yeah, for me, I didn't get to see the rest of the collection that I am up to date on, which is. Um, How's Moving Castle, Spirited Away, The Secret World of Arietti. I didn't get to watch any of those until I was well into adulthood, but well, that doesn't you, mean that I don't love yeah. them any less. Actually, Studio Ghibli was a part of a uh, of, of yet another era of anime coming over to the United States in that Studio Ghibli movies, uh, particularly Spirited Away, I'm glad you mentioned that one, UA, um, got theatrical releases in the United States. Like, they, they were in theaters in the United States. Uh, which is something a, of, something a lot of anime movies didn't get early uh, on. A lot of them did. Um, that, and that's specifically why Studio Ghibli was so successful. Is, um, 
And while it might not have been in the U.S., a lot of them got got theatrical releases in the West. Uh, the U.K. actually imported a lot of it. Um, but to be fair for you, Howl's Moving Castle didn't really even come out until we were almost adults. Like, fair. it didn't come out till the, till 2004. So but still, like, uh, <laughs> ha- having te- seen, teenage having years, seen, having seen Princess Mononoke and Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, not seeing a lot of the other Studio Ghibli movies until I was an adult, honestly, it was a, a little bit of a miscalculation i think on my younger self's part because honestly i really should have looked into get, uh, seeing those movies right earlier uh, I'm, particularly I'm actually, how interested in anime i was but i'm actually glad you brought up nausicaa because technically it's not a studio ghibli film really it was their first film and it was after its success that studio ghibli was founded really I didn't yeah. real, I did not realize that it wasn't originally a, a Studio Ghibli film because it's billed as one these days. Right, because it was their their first film. That was the film that funded their their founding. <laughs> I, I always knew I liked Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. <laughs> now I know why. <laughs> that that one was wildly wildly successful. But. After we started to see like theatrical releases of anime movies in the United States, like more often, and, and actually like highly billed theatrical releases in the United States, like these were advertised, and 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 they were big events that the theaters were trying to get people to go out and go see them. Um, I remember when Spirited Away came to theaters in the United States, it was this big thing. I was like, oh, you got to go see Spirited Away. You got to go see Spirited Away. But um, uh, after that, we started to get a lot more anime brought over to the United States and dubbed. Do you know why? No, go ahead. Yeah. It started in 96. It was because Walt Disney uh, Studios acquired the worldwide distribution rights for Studio Ghibli Library. Mm-hmm. And uh, Walt Dis and the Disney was the ones that that brought them all everywhere. After '96, they all started being uh, um, theatrical releases, and that's mm-hmm. why it was it was so um, all of a sudden prevalent. Is because Disney saw it and realized just how popular it was and could be. Mm-hmm. But by, by this point in the timeline, in the U.S. at least, we're starting to see a huge anime boom, uh, particularly amongst the uh, adolescent and adolescent teen category and whatnot because we had stuff like Toonami uh, on, on the air, which was bringing us dubbed anime uh, pretty much entirely intact in its story. Uh, just dubbed for a, a an American audience. Uh, we had stuff like Dragon Ball Z and Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, Gundam Wing was uh, the first... I think Gundam Wing was the first dubbed Gundam series that made it over to the United States. Everything else had come over as subtitled. And uh, uh... had pretty much been DVD releases. 
I'm not. I, I I'm curious about that because I I, I I I don't know which came first, Wing or Mobile Fighter G. Uh, nope, you're right. It is Wayne. The first time that the West got to experience Gundam was the series Gundam Wayne, which aired on Toonami. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, I, it, it, was, it was, well, I, would, I wouldn't say it was the first time the West got to experience Gundam. Uh, it was the first time we got it dubbed. Uh, everything else prior had come over as, like, DVD releases of subtitled Gundam stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it wasn't like there was a dub for it. It was it was this incredibly niche release that you had to have been an anime fan to begin with to, to pick it up beforehand. And uh, once we started to get stuff like Toonami, we started getting dubbed releases uh, of actual intact storyline stuff for packaged for teenagers and and children uh that i think wound up starting the anime boom which uh resulted in us getting lots of dubs uh of some lesser known anime and uh let's be honest in in the early days of the anime boom there were some pretty bad dubs well you also can't forget that covers the teenage aspect of it but going back down to the kids you had stuff that was airing on fox kids on wb for kids on jetx yes i'm going that far back here ladies and gentlemen for stuff like um Ah, God bless. Why am I blinking out on names? I'm pretty sure Shinzo used to be was an anime. Uh, was Monster Rancher an anime? Yes, it was. Monster Rancher, of course, we've talked about it all the time. Pokemon and Digimon. Um, there, there's, there's so many. Mega kid- Man Battle Network. Oh God, that was a great show. Don't forget Yu-Gi-Oh. Of course, uh, we let, can't forget let- Yu-Gi-Oh. Let's not let's not forget let's not forget the anime that we got started on that is still currently running and woe be whoever tries to catch up to it, One Piece. Uh, of course, we 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 have to talk about our the big four, which was One Piece, Dragon Ball Z, Bleach, and Naruto. And yeah. I I I think we can, I think we can thank those four for the introduction to the modern day explosion and interest into anime because a lot of people nowadays they look back and one of those four was their starter anime i don't know man i i i i'm getting i i've run into a couple of people who've uh been like yo my starter anime was like black clover or my hero academia and i'm sitting here going my starter my starter anime was Gundam Wing. We, we, like, we, we've had three oohs in Anvil in less than five seconds. We better let him speak. <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick, link, link the screen grab from Yu Yu Hakusho. I'm old, Yusuke. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, man, my, my starter anime was probably Yu Yu Hakusho still in Japanese. Like I watched it subtitled. 
that was probably my first like series that I watched. Well, when that I say the original Dragon Ball, when I say that though the big four was somebody's starter anime, I I mean when the big four were relevant and they were known as the big four. Which big four? I, Drag sort of... Dragon Ball Z, Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece. Oh, those are all way too. God, I'm old. Yeah, I know. I we're I we're, we're I, all. I, old. I, honest, I honestly don't think that um, Dragon Ball Z was ever considered part of the big three of Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece because I, Dragon I Ball Dragon Ball Z was way before their time. I disagree because Dragon Ball Z was really big on Cartoon Network when I was in grade school because it was one of the first animes to be put on Toonami. Not to mention the fact that Dragon Ball Z continues to get different adaptations made of it from Dragon Ball to Dragon Ball Z to Dragon Ball GT. Small flinch. It was was uh, so much later. That that's kind of that's kind of my point though is is at the time that Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece were big, we were on and nearly finished with Dragon Ball GT. Right, uh, but as far as starters go, I would definitely have to agree with with UA. It's it was probably one of the bigger starters because oh, def- oh definitely, but oh, it, 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 it was it was definitely not in the same it was not in the same uh, grouping as Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece. They were their own thing. Dragon Ball Z was their daddy. <laughs> uh, well, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, Dragon Ball Z was that. their mentor. As far as starters go, because while Bleach and uh, One Piece came quite a bit later, they grabbed. They seem to grab all the people that were missed by Dragon Ball Z. Yes. All the, all the kids in our generation. Mm-hmm. I, 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 will, I will definitely give it that. Um, but but I, I don't think Dragon Ball Z fall. I, I don't want to call it the big four because really uh, at the time it was airing, it was the big three. And Dragon Ball Z had done its thing already. Dragon Ball Z had paved the way for the big three. I, however would like to point out something that most people seem to forget Go ahead. or think about when they say, oh, which, what was your first anime? Pokemon and Digimon were actually most people's firsts when you point that out because they watched it on four kids long before Toonami ever hit. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I watched Pokemon on Cartoon Network. Yep, Pokemon was on Cartoon Network. Digimon was Disney. Fox Kids. No, oh, Digimon Fox. was Fox Kids. Yep. Uh, Digimon didn't air on any Disney Channel related things until Digimon Savers. Yeah, five. Might have been, been Tamers. No, it was. It was. Ah, oh, crap! I think it was Tamers. I know five was on Disney, though. I know that much for a fact. No, it was it was definitely Tamers because Frontier Frontier was before Savers, and uh, actually, what I guess in the U.S. Holy sack of what? For us, it was Data Squad. Uh oh. I guess. Go, go on, Anvil. What What'd you I'm find? S- I'm sorry. A YouTube notification just popped up on my phone, and it's the Game Boy Color with two screens. <laughs> okay. 
And now for something completely different. That covers both Journey to the East and Press A Gaming content. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, um, uh, go, like, going on from all of that, we're obviously at this point, we're definitely well into the 2000s and we're starting to hit the 2010s. Anime, yes. sti- anime art style has obviously changed drastically between the 70s to the 80s to the 90s 2000s and 2010s and we have animes that are coming out now that are almost all cgi they're not hand drawn anymore and we're we're jumping we're jumping a little a little bit ahead when we're going to the animes that are almost all cgi and not hand drawn because we gotta cover in the early 2000s and and uh before we even got to the 2010s uh we started to notice a large influence from anime onto Western animation. We had shows like Teen Titans and Avatar The Last Airbender that were almost 100% American productions that utilized that animated style to uh, to enough of a degree that I, I, to this day, will declare... Avatar: The Last Airbender is anime. Fight me. Uh, again, well, no, you know what? Screw it. We'll talk about it now because obviously this is—it's anime-based. Let Let's get this out the window. Yes, I agree with you. Avatar: The Last Airbender. I don't care the fact that it's made in America. That does constitute as anime. We, but it's it just in 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 the in the. Early two thousand, mid two thousand. We'll call it the mid two thousands because we're 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 heading toward we're heading toward uh, the twenty tens, and uh, we were starting to notice that there's this heavy influence from anime onto Western animation, uh, and you you saw it everywhere. It wasn't just stuff like Teen Titans and Avatar: The Last Airbender. Uh, Static Shock had almost a heavily an- anime inspired animation to it. Uh, Batman the Animated Series got a lot of, uh, and even later adaptations of the Batman series got very, very anime. Yeah. <laughs> there was actually, there was actually uh, tra- uh, once we got into the 2010s, there was transferred the other direction uh, because I think it was a couple of years ago, it might actually be later than the 2010s, uh, we had, I think it was called Batman Ninja. That is a special, special movie. I enjoyed that. That was fantastic. I freaking loved Batman Ninja. I loved the fact that they took Batman and and put it in, like, the Warring States period of Japan. Like, that was fucking amazing. And I love that we've had that that, um, transfer of culture over to Japan. Because Batman is, is American and the just having our stuff and we even saw that back in the 70s as well because uh this isn't really anime but but it's still the the wheelhouse of journey to the east um uh in in the tokusatsu world which for those of you who are uninitiated tokusatsu is japanese for special cinema it's a it's a type of live action series that utilizes a lot of special effects um Back in the early seven or late middle seventies, I guess, 
um, Stan Lee of Marvel made a deal with Toei Company uh, that Toei Company could use Spider-Man to make their own Spider-Man tokusatsu show in return for Marvel getting the rights to air a Super Sentai series called Sun Vulcan in the United States. And uh, so Stan Lee got the rights to air Sun Vulcan, aired it in the United States for a little bit. Um, and uh, uh, Toei got Spider-Man. And so they had this tokusatsu Spider-Man who had a giant robot and everything. It was, it was the 70s. It was a weird time. But that <laughs> cultural transfer ha- has been a part of our, 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 our shared culture for so long that I, I love that finding that out and, and, uh, that, that culture transfer, that trade that Marvel made actually may have influenced, um, another series that we got in the United States called Power Rangers, which is something that you and I need to spend an own episode by itself. We already have that one on the docket. Then anyway, back to oh. anime. Um, Go on. Cl- Hold on. An- Anvil had something. Uh, I was just going to say, there's one series that I forgot about that was another one that was it's very clearly influenced by anime, but it's a Western series. It's called Oban Star Ra- Racers. Oh, Oban Star Racers. I remember that one. That was on uh, uh, JetX, and then uh, yeah. it aired a little bit when it went to Disney XD. Yeah. Okay, so my brain just broke because I forgot about that one. I'm so glad you guys know it because <laughs> it was it was one that like nobody else knew about when I was watching it as a kid, and it was so good. It was pretty good, uh, and since since we're in the uh, since we're still in the two uh, thousands, moving towards the twenty tens, we, we gotta talk about Adult Swim. Well, yeah, I mean, because... we we already talked about Toonami, so I mean, let's let's yeah. jump on Adult Swim real fast. There uh, every Saturday on a, every Saturday night on Adult Swim for Cartoon Network, there was such a good lineup of anime. Uh, that definitely contributed to the big anime boom of the 2000s because they were constantly pu- pumping out dubs for really good shows. Like you had the, the mainstays of uh, Cowboy Bebop, The Big O, uh, Inuyasha. Thank you. Full Metal Alchemist. Um, one An anime that's very near and dear to my heart that uh, I first saw on... Uh, um, to Adult Swim, and then I finished the series on Netflix many, many years later. Um, Erica, Erica Seven. Oh, brother, that you want a slow burn um, anime, ladies and gentlemen? That's it. Oh <laughs> man, uh, another one that was on Adult Swim that I got introduced to on Adult Swim that I didn't realize I had seen the entire series until years and years later. I just thought that I kept seeing the same episodes over and over again. Uh, Fool and Cooley. Yeah, apparently that's only eight episodes long. I really wish somebody <laughs> had told me that. <laughs> because Adult Swim played that one on repeat for fucking ever. I think they still air it every once in a while. 
Anvil, you got anything you want to throw at that? Uh, I, I just wanted to point out, you know, well, I, I just sort of wanted, because we glossed over the transition of Toonami to Adult Swim, um, in reality, the reason why they air it on Adult Swim now is because they're sort of giving homage to what started them off. Um, Adult Swim evolved from Toonami, um, and they play anime now, and they actually still they call it Toonami again. Mm-hmm. Yes, they actually brought Toonami back on Adult Swim, which is really nice. Including like Tom. They brought Tom back. Yeah. This is, this, is, this is what, the seventh or eighth rendition of that little robot? Yeah, right. he keeps getting destroyed in spectacular ways. Can, can we take a second to enjoy some of the mini films that they made for his destruction and eventual rebirth? Oh, yeah. like that. That's actually one of the things I loved about Toonami was like they brought in all this anime for us to watch and they and they gave us a storyline for the segment that was showing it. Like that was pretty fucking fantastic. You know, you know what I really liked though that was specific to Toonami. Go on. Uh, and it, it's sort of what gave rise and my theory is probably what sort of gave rise to most of the shows uh, on Adult Swim. Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Oh, wow. Yep. I remember was that, that a, one. Was that on Toonami? I thought that was a, a No, that, that was an Adult Swim content. Nope, that was Toonami. It was 1994. Oh, okay. That, that explains it then. It was still Toonami. Oh, man. So we have we, we have spa- we have space ghost coast to coast to blame for all the crappy Sunday Adult Swim content. <laughs> so leaving, Dude, all- I I would love it if Adult Swim was just all anime all the time. It would like, definitely just, make up for want- some of the shit that they have on there sometimes. So yeah, I, I just I just want Saturday Adult Swim, Toonami, seven days a week. Is that, that too much to ask? Nah. In my opinion, no. So holy crap! Yeah, I was just looking because I saw the original Space Ghost when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Did I did, did I mention Paranoid Agent when I was talking about the the original lineup of uh, Toonami? Zef, I feel like I didn't mention Paranoia Agent. Zef, you completely ran over Anvil. Sorry. Go on, Anvil. It's it's fine. I, I was just pointing out that because uh, I watched the original uh, Space Ghost when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was a 1960s cartoon. <laughs> well, you know what? Looking at the art style of that, that sounds Space correct. Space Ghost. Yeah. Well, actually, hold on, hold on one second. Real quick question: Space Ghost wasn't that a Hanna Barbera title? It was. So yeah, that makes sense that it was done in the 1960s, 70s, because that was right around the time of um, Flintstones and the Jetsons. Flintstones, Jetsons, Scooby-Doo, Captain Caveman, Dino-Mutt and Blue Falcon, (sighs) Wacky Racers. So, Why do I know so much about cartoons? I'll never know. 
<laughs> because it's better than a lot of the live action crap that's on television, both then and now. Yeah, fair. So jumping up to closer to present day, we've got the stuff of, like Zephyr had mentioned, My Hero Academia as being one of the newest big animes that's on the market right now. And I mean, oh my god! Oh, oh, guys, we we've committed a cardinal sin. We forgot Thundercats. <laughs> well, no, that wasn't the cardinal sin I was talking about. But yeah, I guess that qualifies as a cardinal sin. No, we talked about Fox Kids, and we didn't mention Shaman King. Oh, hell's bells! Oh. I mentioned Shinzo, <laughs> but I didn't mention Shaman King. <laughs> <laughs> bloody hell so so not only did we forget thundercats we forgot shaman king forgive us anime gods you know what we've we've skipped over while we were talking about uh western animation that was uh very clearly anime oh hmm. shit oh no samurai jack very heavily anime inspired. Very. I'm actually I'm actually surprised that we've gotten this far into the timeline and Anvil hasn't once mentioned Rurouni Kenshin. I've been no, waiting. No, I, I I mentioned I mentioned Kenshin when we were going over the original Toonami lineup. Okay. I missed that. I missed that. That one is near and dear to my heart. That one is near that... and dear to my heart too. I have owned the Reverse Blade Sword. To be honest, that was probably the anime that fully hooked me before then i sort of anime was like any other cartoon to me um but Yuroni kenshin's the one that really stuck that hook in there mm -hmm. yeah and it's like i love that we all have uh, now, now, now that now that we're getting into the 2010s and everything we're starting to get into yet another era of anime and cultural transference of the the era of streaming anime and uh, we, we, we have, have we have so much more anime at our fingertips now. Yeah, and we have things such as Funimation, which obviously is America's prime streaming service and dubbing service for a lot of different Japanese companies to come through for us to get consumed. We have things such as Crunchyroll, VRV, and... Hulu, Netflix, I mean, it's another Funimation. thing that the streaming race just brought in mainstay for us, and we gobble it up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and not just that, but some, some streaming services, like, for instance, Netflix, are making their own animes. Mm-hmm. Such as where our all-consuming flame of gluttony gets his nickname from, the Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, um, not, we're more we're more based on the uh, the original Hebrew legends. Anyway, um, another another one from Toonami that we forgot to mention that just recently got a uh, Netflix original, uh, Ghost in the Shell. Truth. Yes, it did. I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, my wife and I were actually watching that, uh, I want to say, two or three weeks ago. It's actually pretty good. Another uh, another nice anime that's on Netflix that didn't start as an anime, and we're going to cover this in a future episode of the Kaiju, but did either of you two watch the three-part movie series for the Godzilla anime? 
No, I did not. Um, I have to check that out. But anyway, uh, back back to the uh, Ghost in the Shell adaptation. Like uh, the new one for Netflix is a continuation of Standalone Complex. It's not a reboot. It's it's continuing on. So if 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 anybody's a fan of Ghost in the Shell, I highly recommend you go check it out. There's another one that, um. Oh yeah, Saint Seiya is another one that Netflix has redone. There's reboot, that... reboot or continuation. Hold on, uh, Anvil. What were you saying? There's one that Netflix has made recently. They just recently made another season for, um, that was based on a book series that was based that made a very popular game series, which is what got me hooked on it originally was uh, Castlevania. Oh yeah. Castlevania <laughs> anime. To to answer Zephyr's question from before because I I don't I want to acknowledge that. I'm not positive. I want to say it's a reboot. I never watched the original Saint Seiya, but I have watched a little bit of the Netflix version of it and it is good. It is very very good. But going to Castlevania, that I don't know anyone who didn't give it a shot and instantly fall in love with it. But, uh, yeah, you'd be, uh, actually, I don't know if I've watched the Castlevania anime yet. Do it. It's so worth. It really is. As our friends on the sock drawer, Sailor and Dusty will attest, watch it. Yeah, no, I don't think I've seen it because I, I think the only thing I really have have gotten uh, in the cultural zeitgeist with it is the the the, the post talking about the punching Dracula and being like, "You must be the Belmont." Wait, wait a minute. Hold on a second. I I, I realize that what I'm about to do is going to be releasing the Pandora from her box here, but. You're telling me that you've never watched Castlevania on Netflix, but you make the abridged quotes all the time? Uh, because they're Helsing abridged quotes, not Castlevania abridged quotes. Yeah, he quotes Helsing abridged a lot. Like like the whole the whole thing of the the punching Dracula in the face, and then someone goes, "There's only there's only one clan of of absolute maniacs in this backwater sty that would have the rea- take one look at the avatar of email and first reaction is to throw a haymaker." Belmont, how you doing? How's the family? Everyone talks that they read that in Alucard fr- voice from Helsing Abridged. Like that that's what they're referencing because Team Four Star did a freaking amazing fucking job. With the Helsing abridged and Alu- Helsing abridged Alucard is just iconic. Oh. Actually, that's something we should definitely mention as as part of the cultural transference of anime into the West is the abridged series. And there's the Pandora box I mentioned before. Like that, that is one hundred percent an American contribution to anime. It it it, it, it is. It is everything that we got from anime in in the early days of it coming over to the United States, um, condensed down into um, basically us doing our own intentionally bad dubs. 
And I know that both you and Anvil are particularly big fans of the abridged continuity. Well, for certain ones, there there are some really, really bad ones, and there are some really, really good ones. Like, I am a particularly big fan of Something Witty Entertainment's uh, Sword Art Online abridged. Yes, just because they did a really fucking good job of turning a series that's supposed to be about gamers that doesn't have any gamers in it into a series about gamers. Right. That are just, that are just as stupid as their actual series counterparts. And I would like to point out that a lot of anime producers are now embracing the abridged series uh, tropes. I'm going to go with tropes. And making sort of their own. And they're calling them chibi series. Yep. Like that that's pretty much pretty much what the whole chibi series thing is. Although the chibi the chibi series thing also lends a lot to uh the super deformed Gundam because that's pretty much what SD Gundam was at, at the beginning, is it was it was just funny little Gundam um short involving these super deformed tiny chibi versions of the Gundams um, something I, I want to touch on because we've kind of tangentially uh, in that wheelhouse with the Abridged series um, you remember back when I mentioned some bad dubs early on in the, the dub era of anime yes well there are, are some anime that got brought over to the United States that did poorly in Japan that they basically handed them, handed the script to the localization team and said, make it sell at all costs. This had varying results, but one such result we got was the dub to an anime called ghost stories. It literally reads like a fucking abridged series. I'm not even kidding you. Go look it up on YouTube listen to it for a few minutes, have your brain melt and realize that this is the official dub that we got in the United States. It's fucking wild. Uh, I don't like a bridge series. (laughs) That's why I decided to be the person to burn it up because it's like, okay, rip the bandage off, make it fast, get it over with. With that being said, I will stop talking about a bridge series for UA sanity. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Having known you two for as long as I have, my sanity went out the window years ago. I was gonna right, say right around, the, right, around, right around the first time we showed him the ghost stories dub. So, um, to catch up real quickly, up to present day anime, like we had mentioned, we we have stuff that is. Basically, all CGI or mostly CGI created as opposed to the handwritten stuff. I want to pose a question to you guys real quickly before we do our final touches on the episode here. Um, Which art style do you think you prefer? The art style of anime from the 90s to early 2000s or the stuff that we're seeing more of today? Um, I will. I'm going to go a little A, a little B. Okay, elaborate, please. So I think now there's a, a very wide variety of the anime style or of the animation styles, whereas the and I, I like a lot I like a lot of them. Some of them I could I could do without. Uh, 
with that being said, the 90s sort of holds a nostalgic place in my heart. Mm-hmm. The 80s and 90s, so... I, I will I will always be a proponent of traditional 2D animation just because I, I, I prefer it to 3D animation and CGI. Um, and I may be colored from early interactions with CGI in uh, the early 90s when CGI was still very young and, and <laughs> frankly absolute garbage. Like, don't get me wrong, the content of some of these shows was great, but I'm looking at you, Reboot. <laughs> you were a great show, but man, your CGI is fucking dated. <laughs> anyway, um, but no, I, I think I'll always be a proponent of traditional 2D animation just because I, I enjoy it a lot more, and I think it takes a lot more skill to be able to animate a good, fast-paced fight scene in 2D traditional animation. Fair and enough. We've got we've got some pretty amazing fight scenes in 2D traditional 2D series. We like, absolutely did. Nar- Naruto was a good one for this. Now they, they have some pretty well animated fight scenes. I I was more a fan of the fight scenes from Yu Yu Hakusho or Roroni Kenshin. I was going to say Rurouni Kenshin's like probably my favorite fight scenes ever. So I I have to side a little bit harder with Anvil's answer of a little of A, a little of B, because some anime now that are CGI created, I can't see them being made in the 2D art style and have the same effect, and vice versa. I can't see shows that were prominent in the late 90s, early 2000s with the 2D art style and be as effective as they are then as they are would be now if they were to be the CGI creation of it. The biggest draw on that one for me that I can think of off the top of my head is the reboot of Sailor Moon where they went from the 2D art style to the 3D CGI and... I mean, me personally, I kind of got turned off to it really quickly. That that being said, I have had some real favorites of anime that uh, used a blending of the two. Like, they are primarily 2D animation that utilized 3D for certain parts. Uh, the first one that jumps to my mind right now is uh, Gargantua of the Virtuous Planet. Ooh. So good. So and very good. Good example. Primarily two D, primarily two D animation, but the robots and and most of the big bigger things in in that were CG. And then everything else was two D animation, and they did a really good job of blending those together to where it it honestly felt like there was it was seamless. So right. something I something I would like to do as a wrap-up for this series when we do get to the end. I'd like to bring you back, Anvil, for that if it's all the, if it's okay with you. And I would like all three of us to do a top 10 favorite anime list. And let's just spend that hour talking about that and just going over what our favorites are. Uh, right. let's, let's do a top 10 anime uh, for that, and then also let's break it down by era. And say what our favorite was for each of the eras. Like I can write out like names for each of the different 
names and dates for each of the different what I consider eras of anime, and we can probably go off of that too. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I think that all three of us would have a good time with that. Yeah. So before we sign off, ladies and gentlemen, I do want to leave you with one thing. Anvil, another cardinal sin that I think that you might have committed, and I'm not positive on this one. It is we seven. Didn't bring up Isekai. Yeah. No, no, that that's its own episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's too much we, isekai we for us to go through. We didn't specifically mention any other genre except for maybe sci-fi, and that's kind of a necessity back in the '80s. Yeah, so, each genre is gonna have its own time in the sun because there was no way we were gonna fit this in, and we're already over on time as is. But Anvil, Super Robot Monkey Team Hyper Force Go. Go home, Josh. <laughs> was that an anime? <laughs> I thought that I thought that was a. a... I'm pretty sure that's an I'm anime. Pretty sure that was an anime. <laughs> I have to look this up now. You have and, done this to yourself. And and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here on another journey to the east. And... Oh my God, Speed Racer. Oh bloody hell! We're this okay. We're just we gotta cut it off now because we're committing way too many sins. Anvil, why don't you tell the folks where we can find you? Uh, usually playing some video games or eating some food. I do enjoy a nice pie, mm. and the blackberries will be ready soon. So probably eating blackberry pie. Um. Oh, you can also find me on Chronicles of the Lost Realm, where I tell you stories. And you can find me here on Journey to the East and oftentimes on Press A Game. Thank you very much, Anvil. I greatly appreciate you being on with us today. We've tried very hard to get you on here, and I'm so glad we finally did. I hope to see we get to have you on here many, many times in the future. Yeah, sorry I haven't been on as much. I uh, Between my new job and trying to coordinate everything for... Uh, chronicles of the lost realm it's been uh life life happens my friend i understand (laughs) that uh zephyr real quickly buddy where can we find you you can find me on press a gaming as your host every other friday on realm of the mist although with this whole thing going on my release schedule has been a little wonky but i'm gonna hopefully get back to that as soon as everything uh normalizes you can also find me on chronicles of the lost realm playing akla temrek and uh, anywhere else on Realm of the Mist that they decide to rope me into at the time. Also, you can find me here on Journey to the East as your wonderful co-host. And historian extraordinaire. I usually just Google it. Uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Journey to the East podcast. We have a new outro for you to listen to, so I will make this very short and sweet. I, as always, have been your host, UA Black Wings, and we will see you next time on our next journey to the East. Bye! 
Hey guys, it's Chris from Realm of the Mist Entertainment. If you enjoyed this video, please hit that thumbs up button. Like, share, comment, subscribe. Check out all the other great podcasts that can be found on Realm of the Mist Entertainment's YouTube channel or our sister channel, Sounds Dicey Gaming, for all your tabletop needs. And if you prefer your podcasts in audio-only format, check out Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. To our Patreon supporters, we thank you very, very much. And if you're interested in being a Patreon supporter, please go over to patreon.com slash realm of the mist and just a dollar a month gives you exclusive content and helps our channel out greatly. Guys, again, thank you very much for joining us and we will see you on the next episode.